welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thank you, Adam, for being a guest. Been looking forward to talking with you. And you're a native of, um, well, I'm not sure where. I, you recently came from Florida, is that right? I recently came from Florida, but I've lived all over the States and other part and other countries, so. Right. I've been and you're all. a writer and a teacher, and you are rehabbing an older house over in Illinois. That's correct, yeah, in Belleville. That's right, yep. Yeah. Well, how else? Tell me, tell me more about yourself. Um, I, I, originally I studied um, screenwriting, so okay. uh, there's a there's an emphasis in screen screenwriting uh, for narrative structure. It's very important uh, in that industry to identify story and um, understand how it works. Yeah. So. Uh, I wrote some, got hired a little, um, I concentrated in, uh, sitcom writing, but I wasn't a big fan of the industry. So, uh, eventually I fell into teaching and, uh, have become a novel, a novelist. So I've working on, I think my 13th novel now. What? What did you not like about the industry? Um, the focus was not primarily on making the best movies or TV that they could make. The focus was primarily on making money, which I understand it's a business. It's not show art, it's show business. But right. um, but that wasn't... I would have preferred to see uh, money being made with high-quality work. Yeah. And then what you do now, does it feel more like art to you? Uh, yeah. Your no novels and so forth? Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess it's all art. Okay. But uh, creative decisions, uh, you know, I think it, mm, a, a writer or an artist's um, creative decisions should align with their purpose. Okay. Um, so uh, some people's purpose is they have to make a living. Yeah. So they make creative decisions based on that, and I totally get that. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I don't need to do that, or I chose not to do that. So uh, I, my creative decisions are coming from a different place. I see. Okay, well, that's interesting. Um, it reminds me a little bit of this podcast, that if I was doing it in order to earn income from it, it would probably be a different approach yes, to it. Exactly. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, well, it, you know, what's, what's inter interesting to me are kind of like the big questions of life and just people's viewpoints of them. So I'm going to, you know, ask you a little bit about how you see things like that. And then also, as I mentioned, it'd be interesting to get into... Um, story and archetypical stories and just stuff like that because that's really interesting to me too and it seems to be connected to the big things of life it seems but so i i thought about this this morning and um it's kind of a weird question but it's like what i want to ask i guess like what what and this is the question so we i can explain a little bit after i ask it but what do you sense is ultimate 
reality? And I guess that's a little bit of a question as far as um, world. It's a worldview question, I guess. Like, where do you come from, from your philosophical viewpoint of like just what this is all about, this reality that we experience and so forth? Well, I think that we're in third grade. Okay. Um, I kind of feel like we're uh, here to learn some lessons. I don't know how they'd be applied, but um, I think part of the lessons we're supposed to be learning here are our relationship with the material plane. So I think it offers us a tremendous amount of opportunity to learn things um, about ourselves and about our souls. Okay. Um, But I feel like this is not the end. I don't think we're close to the end (laughs) of what we can learn. Um, But that that being said... um, I don't feel like we're at the beginning either. That's why I say third grade. Okay. <laughs> it feels like third grade. But um don't know that's that's what it that's what it feels like to me. I don't know if that's past lives or multiple lives or how that, you know, manifests itself, but that's how that's what I think. Okay. So you mentioned the material plane and then you also talked about souls. Um so what do you, the material plane, do you mean like just things that we can interact with with our senses and stuff like that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it seems like that, I, I wonder if maybe this is an, a, you know, a unique opportunity for us to understand. I mean, there's, there's some great things about interacting with our environment um, that uh, obviously art being one of them. Um, communication, other people, the way that we interact with other people, um, all of that to me seems, um, seems great uh, and an important way to learn. But of course also there are pitfalls as well with the materialism, and <laughs> which would include money and, you know, at what point do we, do we draw the line there? And everybody's got different lines. Uh, I think for me, I guess I could only talk for me, but I feel like it's an opportunity to appreciate uh, the, the physical realm and and the be- and beauty, but also to recognize that there are other layers of existence, such as truth and things like that. In other words, it's not all there is, right. but uh, I think it's something we're supposed to interact with. Okay. And you mentioned souls. What did you say about souls? Or uh, Just that, you know, the, the element of us that is not physical, okay. whatever that is. I think there is something there that isn't purely physical or chemical. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I, that's the, you know, I'm not suggesting that we should forget about that. I think this is all to help us to grow there. Okay. Um, but... It's also, you know, an opportunity in all of our interactions with our world, you know, including pain and suffering, 
I think they're opportunities to learn. I mean, that's easy for me to say right now because I'm not in pain, you know, but um, I, I hope that I, when I am or when I'm suffering or that I can keep that in mind, that it's an opportunity to learn something. Okay. Have any particular books really uh, seem like they have a lot of potential for, um, you know, being, for getting to the, the soul or the nourishing that the spiritual aspect of a person or, you know, getting to those fundamental things? Any particular books that you've been involved with or encountered? Mm-hmm. I, I have to be honest, nothing recently. Um, I think, I mean, it, it's a, it's possibly one of the worst books ever written in terms of, like, the craft. Uh-huh. Um, and I, the first time I read it, it really helped me to experience the world a little differently. And the second time I read it, I was embarrassed about my first response. Okay. I don't even know if I should say this, <laughs> but uh, The Celestine Prophecy, have you ever read that or heard of it? No, I don't think I have. Okay, good. <laughs> it was super, super, super popular about um, 25 years ago, maybe 30 years ago. And it's very spiritual and it's just a horrible book, horribly written. But yeah. um, that is the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, okay. So sometimes I think it isn't necessarily the skill of the writer or for people, it isn't always the skill of the writer or the uh, the, the storytelling, the, the level of storytelling. Often it's just the time and place for the reader that yeah. something can help you even if right. it's not good. Right. I can relate to that. Um, have you read much from C.S. Lewis? No. I mean, I... Uh, no. Okay. He, um, he's he got this little book on genres. I forgot the title of oh. the book. And he speaks of myth. Hmm. And um, it's kind of interesting. He, he The way he describes myth is not necessarily... Sometimes the way we use it, we use the word as meaning, what's well, not true, it's just a myth. Yes. But he refers to it more as a genre hmm. um, and it independent of whether it's true or not it might be true it might not it, it means a story but it's a, it's a particular kind of story and he says it's got power not in how well it's written but um, in just the the very structure of it itself so um, like if you just take it down to the bare bones and you just put it in a nutshell and you just spoke it somehow it would have an impact on a person. And he has an example. He has different, you know, various examples, but one of them is probably some kind of, I forget, some kind of Greek myth or something like um, this man's wife, she's taken taken down into the underworld, and uh, he is told he can go and get her and lead her out, but he can't turn around and look at her. If he, if he does that, you know, it's all lost or whatever. So he goes down and gets her and he's bringing her out and they're walking out but um before they get out he turns around to look at her and then he's she's lost forever but um i don't know if that particularly hits me but um there are some stories which just in it somehow does hit me like it relates 
to me on the human level, and, and it just seems profound. And um, the way he describes a myth is like after you read it, um, you feel like you, you've been changed or you're going to be changed. Like it, it feels like really uh, something big happening as you read it. And he, um, he relates to two people, authors you probably are familiar with. Uh, they both write adventure stories about um, like in the jungle and stuff like that. And one of them is very good at English and the writing style and everything. The other one is not so fine and good with the English, but his, quali- his works have a myth quality to him. He wrote Solomon's Minds, um, and um, I can't think of his name right now. But anyway, um, so um, you were talking about the Celestine prophecy uh, not being like well written, but somehow it hits you, and I, I just, I just wonder if it, yeah, if it could have like have some kind of a myth quality to it. Um, but you also mentioned sometimes we're just at the right mindset for the right work and they just meet together and it means something to us, you know? Yeah, no, um, the Celestine prophecy, I wouldn't say is, uh, got mythic elements. People might disagree with me on that. Um, it was a sort of a primer, a spiritual primer Okay. that used the story to deliver that information. Um, and and the information, uh, you know, at the time was useful to me and helpful to me, um, but the story was god awful. So, um, okay. So I wouldn't say that was mythic. Okay. Um, but I I know what you're talking about. I, it's, it's kind of odd, but one of my students actually um, belongs to a group that asked him to write a, his own myth. Okay. And so I got a chance to think a lot about myth and also to talk about it with him to see what he thought. And we, we identified a few elements um, because I haven't really studied myth in a long time. So, um, But for him, one of the important things was the, the universality of the story. Okay. That the, it, it uses archetypes rather than kind of three-dimensional characters very often. Um, okay, right. Like the, the hero and so forth. They very often have heroes. Uh, they don't always, but... Um, and so a hero is not a person. Okay. I, I don't... Not a three-dimensional person anyway. Um, and by three-dimensional, you mean like their personalities filled out and that type of thing. Okay. Yeah, I mean, human beings... I think we all have three-dimensional personalities where sure. there are, you know, kind of uh, conflicts and dichotomy and we don't make sense and uh, we're complex yeah. and heroes are not. And myths are, I wouldn't say, the, the meaning inside, behind a myth I don't think is often complex. Right. Um, the, the, the myth might go on, you know, like the Mahabharata or something for, you know, a long time but and it might be profound but that's different than complex i think right yeah yeah exactly yeah 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 but that in that universality of the the theme of a of a of a a myth um, the reason why it's told what we're supposed to learn from it um 
that can exist in any story. The same theme can exist, but it's the way that it's delivered, I think. Um, so it's not in the storyline? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, I would define a theme as the underlying meaning of a okay. story. Okay. Um, some people might refer to it as a lesson or the moral. Okay. I, you know, um, I wouldn't use those terms exactly, but um, th- th- that is pretty much always in a theme. It might not always be in a story, at least not on purpose, but it's definitely, uh, I would think... Mm, the purpose, one of the main purposes for a myth would be to deliver these themes to the, uh, because very often myths have been passed down for hundreds or thousands of years. Right. And they've endured because there's a, uh, there's a message there. There's a, there's a lesson or lessons there that people still can use. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's got some purpose behind it, perhaps, like a um, a creation myth um, to kind of, um, I think of Genesis 1 as like um, to show how, what he, how humans function in the world. Like the world is all set up, you got the uh, trees, the animals, and, and then humans are made and God says, let them have dominion over creation you know so it kind of shows and then there's also the heavenly bodies and they rule in a way and so forth so um so you're saying a myth has a a theme or a lesson so it has some practical purpose to it i think that's the ones that stick around okay probably are the ones that uh that have a uh, they could have had a purpose very often i think it's to build culture Okay. Um, well, I don't know chicken or egg. I, myths are culture. Culture is right. myth. I mean, I don't know where that line is. And I don't know if it's on purpose. Like somebody says, okay, I'm going to develop a myth now that's going to, you know, establish our culture or, you know, evolve our culture. So, kind of, And by culture, you mean to unite people in a certain framework of thinking and so forth. Of right? understanding. Of understanding. Yeah, and interaction with the with the universe okay i think but but um but yeah i mean i think myth uh it ends up doing that the ones that the ones that stick end up doing that and of course we've got myths that were the purpose of them were for all sorts of reasons i think probably not the least of which at some point was probably entertainment um we look at fairy tales you know, when you look at those very often, the purpose might have been to teach a, um, an explicit lesson to kids. Yeah. But the ones that kind of stick around have something else going on as well that might not have been on purpose, but nonetheless make them kind of eternal. Right. Fairy tales are another genre that are kind of strange. Like, they're all cleaned up in Disney, but like you go back... <laughs> They're not cleaned up when you're talking about Grimm's. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> They're pretty spooky. Yeah. And it makes you think, who wrote this? Or like, um, what type of person would write this? You know? mm. <laughs> and how would you do it? It seems like, I don't, it don't seem like a simple thing to write something like this because it's just so strange, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, well, I don't know. Tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I mean, 
500 years ago, I think it was a lot more dangerous for kids like, to, yeah. to survive. Right. Um, and I know fairy tales aren't just for kids, but um, a lot of them are, are given to kids, you know, early. Right. And at the time, I think they're, they're a little bit stronger and don't always have happy endings because it's a way to sort of say to kids at the time, I think they were probably thinking, you know, if you do this, you're going to die, so sure. don't do it. And this is what will happen. You'll get baked alive or whatever. Right. Um, but uh, So I wasn't, I didn't know for sure that fairy tales were for kids back, because like when cartoons, from what I heard, when cartoons start started, they weren't necessarily for kids like they are today, you know, but I didn't know if it was... But anyway, you know, I don't know either. Um, You know, I I believe that they were shared with kids. They might not have just, they might have been a family experience, but they, I don't know. Okay. It seems like a lot of them feature kids. Yeah, I guess Um, so. Right. And and therefore I would think maybe their target market was kids. But I don't know enough about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Is, um... So when it comes to myth, um, is there any particular myth that just really resonates with you? Hmm. That's a good question. Hmm. Nothing off the top of my head. Uh, For me, I could be wrong, but for me, myth tends to be too broad for me to engage with it very seriously. Um... It feels too um, contrived sometimes for me. Okay. Contrived as in um, like too simple, like too simplistic maybe? or uh, I can see the puppeteer and the strings. I see. You know what I mean? Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. like um, it, it feels like somebody is it's, – it's an issue um, – with a lot of stories that are pri- the, the reason for a story, the reason why somebody tells a story, there are lots of reasons. Uh, we, we talked about some of them. One would be teaching a lesson, primarily. One would be entertainment, primarily. Um, one would be making money, primarily. I don't think you can do more than one. There's always one main reason. Um, I'm sure there are lots of people that would disagree with me. <laughs> But um, I don't think so. I think when you have to make a creative decision, it's coming from one place. So the reason why I bring this up is that um, I don't... I love learning from stories. uh, Because very often the primary reason might be entertainment. But there are still lessons but even the writer or the storyteller or whomever doesn't know if there are lessons in there. There are lessons they've learned themselves. That, that's why they tell stories, because they want to share them with other people. But they don't do it consciously. So it's a kind of subconscious um, lesson, lessons learned. Um, I love that. But when there's a, somebody being didactic, kind right. of... And, right. and often that's what myth feels like to me. Okay. I, I kind of don't engage. I see. I can see the, how that we're didactic, like trying explicitly to teach something in a way that's just, it's almost 
too visible or, you know, like art is different in that um, art is trying to touch upon something that's like uh, too far out there. You know, it's like there's a sense of some reality, but it just can't be put into words or into like a teaching didactic thing. So, but it's art is like a, an attempt to touch upon it and somehow bring that help open other people's eyes to it so yes. that's kind of more of a a meaningful thing it seems but see that's how i kind of think of myth um as like um trying to touch upon some reality like mm. you know and that's kind of if it's profound like um but um I see what you mean too. Um, like no one is, uh, is going to find very meaningful something that's put. That's just the purpose is is just to teach. You know, and it's not. There, there's a difference between trying to get a lesson across and trying to explore something, um, you know, unspeakable or something like that. You know, I I totally agree with that, and it's and it's um. It's a, it's an issue. I, I um, I've worked as a um, as a um, judge for screenwriting competition, and so I used to read every year hundreds of screenplays, and uh, a lot of them were faith based. Okay. And right. um, they they were very often in my they had a very different reason for existing. Right. Yeah. So. It's, I think it's a good example, maybe, of teaching versus having a learning a lesson organically through a story. Yeah. Um, because f- the faith-based stories very often were to teach a lesson primarily or right. to reinforce a, a lesson. Right. So um, they would um, very often take agency away from the main characters. In other words, in a st- in a modern story, my definition anyway would be that characters do things to, for each other, um, and learn things from their actions and the actions of others, and it kind of moves in a causal pattern. Um, that's how most of us uh, experience story, um, or the stories that we have in our culture today. Um, myth, and maybe uh, fairy tales and maybe faith-based have a primary um, goal of uh, reinforcing a lesson. Yeah. And therefore, the primary driver of the story is not the main characters doing things. It's very often a higher power, uh, the fates, um, God... Um, f- fate, singular, um, that really is running the show. Um, that to a modern audience is not satisfying because we don't like to think of humans not being able to control our own destiny. So that's why... Um, you don't really see a lot of mythical stories being told uh, 
and faith-based movies, which are extremely popular and make a lot of money, are don't often break into the mainstream uh, because they take that agency away from the characters. Hmm. So when you were speaking of like the characters not having agency, I, I guess I was misunderstanding you at first because I was thinking you meant like um, the author is just uh, do, making the characters do this or that, whereas like a more... Um, uh, full, you know, multi, you know, textured story. It's like the characters are have this personality, and then it's almost like, well, let's see what they do, and then that personality kind of directs the story somewhat, and it's almost like an experiment. The author is exactly traveling down. Yes. You know. Well, I mean, there's several layers, uh, mm-hmm. levels of what you just described. Um, pop a lot of popular stories. There's a there's an element. There might not be incredibly well developed characters, mm-hmm. but the right in order for a story to be um, often successful, the writer has to make it seem like the character has agency. Mm-hmm. In other words, the writer might have already kn- or the creator might have already known what they wanted to have happen. Mm-hmm. They need to get to from A to B. But they develop a character that makes it seem like the character got them from A to B. Mm-hmm. So a lot of more uh, commercially successful stories do that, where the writer knows how to deliver that journey, but also knows how to look like the character's doing it, even though really th- that's already been mapped out. Um, but with myth, very often, especially if you want to talk about... Um, Greek, you know, tragedies or comedies or, you know, all that stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, very often there will just be a moment where a god shows up and says, you're dead, you two get married, you do this, you do that, and that's the story. I see. So the characters have no, like, um, and that's not satisfying to to modern, most modern readers or or, um, audiences. Um, so that's what I mean by taking like, it's it's a referred to, and I'm sure you've heard of a Deus ex a Deus ex machina event. Um, mm. It literally means you know that 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 they're low that they're lowering a god onto the stage, you know, to like take care of everything. Um, right. It used to be super popular. It isn't any longer. Um, well, except for I mean that happens in faith based stories nowadays where God where things will happen and it's not because of a character it's because of the character's faith so they they pray God intervenes and things work out in the end yes um, pretty much all I mean I have a little experience but um, pretty much all the faith-based stories which are sort of like modern maybe you could say modern myth um, that's what happens. But I've also read some where it is the, I mean, those are super powerful. The ones where the character might have faith, but also uses that faith to accomplish something. Mm-hmm. Um, those are really good. So mm-hmm. I shouldn't paint with a broad stroke, mm-hmm. but, um, but that it's that, you know, in terms of maybe that's a difference between myth. And I don't know if that's true, but very often fate plays a role in myths in a way that it doesn't in modern stories. Hmm. Although not, I'm, although there's obviously lots of exceptions. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, so, um, 
about like overt teaching, I thought like of two examples. And someone else, I was listening to um, a podcast, Truce, talking about the history of fundamentalism. Mm. And it kind of culminated with um, that trial. Um, the There was a movie about it. Um, um, the wind, you know, the Scopes Monkey Scopes trial. Monkey trial. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. the movie? Uh, Capture the Wind or no, um, something about the wind. But yes. Um, yes. So um, there's that movie that um, you know it really didn't align with history. Very good at all. It was really to put forth a particular viewpoint, and then a modern. Um, bookend to that would be the recent movie God's Not Dead and it um, has a stereotypical college professor atheist attacking a student's faith Christianity and it's that that battle but it's very stereotypical of like what the, the atheist you know that he's closed minded and refusing to believe and has these presuppositions, you know, and so it's like on the opposite end, a a, a really overt um, teaching type of thing coming from a a certain uh, particular viewpoint. Um, Although I know that was a very popular movie. Yeah. Yeah. So so you're doing something that people responded to. Definitely. I didn't see it, but yeah, I certainly know of it. But, um, and I know in myth, that God can be, or gods or whatever, can be involved in it. Um, but I guess I think about it more like, well, that's not so much... I think it's just assumed that God is involved in it because, like, for... Um, I think the, it, it could even be that for a myth to hit a person, they kind of have to think of the world as more than just material type of stuff like there's mm-hmm. some kind of fundamental reality that's mm-hmm. deep and um this myth is kind of touching upon it in some way or mm-hmm. something like that i don't know but mm-hmm. yeah that's possible um obviously there are lots of different kinds of myths um yeah. you know when we talk about the hero's journey which how could we talk about this without bringing that up um that's that's a narrative structure, a very structured structure uh, for a narrative that, you know, uh, Campbell identified common elements in old stories, which is kind of looking back and noticing, you know, um, that structure itself feels like fate okay. in a way. Like, it's, there is a structure, there is oh, a reason. Do you know what I'm saying? It's, it's kind of like um, good's going to win out on in the end, that type of fate. Well, even if it doesn't, um, there is the, the 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 fact that there's, you know, when we're in a structure like that where we know it's about time to meet the, uh, oh. you know, to we can feel that structure in yeah. a story that's because Campbell was talking about what was done, which is one thing, but since then people have used that as a structure to create stories. Okay. That's where I get a little nervous. Okay. Uh, because that's when they're not making primary decisions based on 
the characters, they're making them based on something else. Yeah. And that something else is a structure, just like spirituality or religion and the way that religions or spirituality or people see something going on that's meaningful, that is significant beyond people just breathing or being organisms, you know, uh, and everything being random. So you can feel that, I think, in stories that are based on uh, the hero's journey. Okay. So if you got that structure, you can have a computer write your story for you. I, you know, and <laughs> not I, saying that that's good, but I mean, no, no, computers no. <laughs> write s- stories now. Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're good. I haven't read one. But, um, or you don't know you've read one, perhaps. <laughs> well, that's true. That is true. Um, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? But um, I, so I don't know. For me, there's for me there's a difference between taking that structure and applying it or using it as like a uh, a mold for a story, versus because I'm all about narrative structure. But there's a structure that's. The hero's journey is not universal to stories. Okay. It's, it's often found in the myths. Not always, but often those okay. elements are present. Yeah. But um, there are elements that show up in most stories. Like 99% of them have the same elements. They're, right. Like an obstacle or something. There, yes. There is, there's almost always a... Well, I think there is always a character... And a character is something that has agency, something that can do something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, I don't think you could have a story about a rock just sitting there. That wouldn't be a story, you know? It wouldn't be a story. I don't think so. Um, although, you know, somebody could take that as a challenge. But there would have to be something of agency that would act as a character. There'd have to be a linear progression. So there's another thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, you could write about that rock sitting there for 16 years. Right. And, you know, it rained and it didn't. But so there is chronology. There's, there's, there's always chronology in yeah, a story. Right. As far as I can tell, <laughs> I've never heard of one that didn't have it. But um, it doesn't have to be in order. Yeah. But there is a cause, causal link of, of things that characters do that happen mm-hmm. that make up a story. And usually, almost always, the character has a goal that they're trying to achieve. Right. And almost always, there are obstacles that are getting in the way of that. And we're supposed to learn how to live our lives better. I think the reason why story has been around forever is we're supposed to look at them and go, wow, I see what they did. That was smart or that was dumb. I'm not going to do it. Or, or I was, am going to do it. Or it was worth doing it. It was worth the risk. And, yeah, it was um, worth the risk. And yeah. if I'm ever in that position, I'll do the same thing. The, the writer might not, or the, the storyteller might not have done that on purpose, mm-hmm. but we still do. That's why we tell stories. It's because we've learned things and it gets reflected in our own stories. So um, the reason why I bring all this up is that kind of structure is useful not to, sh- to write a story or to create a story, but it's useful when you need to make your story better. Mm-hmm. And you can look at those kind of elements that are in pretty much every story and say, do I have that element? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I don't, how can I get it in there? 
did I put it in at the right time? Could I put it in a better time? Do, could I handle it differently? So for me, that's narrative structure is mostly useful in helping us to improve our stories, but not to create a story. Not to start with it. Yeah, because otherwise you feel that kind of con- constriction of the... It feels like paint by numbers. Now, what you described um, sound like how's a hero's story different than, you know, like going against the odds or the obstacle and and so forth? Well, that's the whole thing is that in all the elements of pretty much all stories are in there. Okay. They're going to totally be there. But they, for me, there are a lot of, and this is where my personal opinion pops out, but there are a lot of storytellers who offer structures beyond that very often based on kind of looking at past stories and identifying elements that they noticed and saying this is what should happen here this is what should happen there this is who you need here and that for me moves past telling an organic character driven story to something that feels more formulaic because it is yeah. um it's, it, you know, I, I think that people, you know, you'd have to talk to my, you'd have to talk to my students to ask them if they think I get formulaic sometimes by saying, you know, don't you think it's a good t- time right here to enter this particular element or beef up this element to get here? But it's, it's, it's after it's written. So it's different. It's not like trying to pour the water into the ice molds to get the ice it's sort of like chipping at the ice to right. get it you know so i think it's a different process um do you have any thoughts about lord of the rings kind of a classic story well you know um i, I can tell you that i couldn't make it through the movies oh really okay. no i couldn't do it i tried <laughs> um it, it's that's too mythical for me Okay. So Personally, yeah. What about the books? Have you read the books? The books, I, I, I did when I was younger. Okay. But so, I mean, like when I was 11 years old, I don't even remember. I remember reading The Hobbit, definitely, and the, probably The Lord of the Rings, too. But they all kind of, it's not my genre. So oh, okay. I'm not passing judgment there. Sure. But, um, but the, the movies, um, and I, I, I keep trying. But So, and to... And in what way is it because it seems like fate um, orchestrating it, or? Um, hmm. Why? Um, it feels too ar- ar- archetypal okay. for me. So for me, that yeah, I think yes, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, the you know when you have archetypes, they're there. They're placeholders. They're kind of. They're, they're functioning as something other than a full character. They're not going to do something surprising. Okay. Or, you know, antithetical to who they are. Human beings do all the time. But, uh, so I like being surprised by a story, surprised by characters. Not to the point where you have Mother Teresa suddenly going on a murderous rampage. <laughs> I don't mean that, but I mean, we, we don't, we have a lot of stuff going on. In, in, in ourselves. And there are a lot of uh, motives for what we do. We don't even know. 
but people are always surprising. Um, I'm not surprised by Lord of the Rings. Right. You know, it's kind um, of predictable, I guess. Uh, well, maybe because I read them. Okay. But but even then, yeah, it, it, you know, so I don't engage with Star Wars or because that's oh, that's you know, right. that's Same another thing. one. I mean, it just right. it just doesn't work for me. But I'm right. I'm fussy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. Um. For yeah, I resonate somewhat with Lord of the Rings type of th- stuff. Mm. You know, um, you're not alone. Um, and I guess I I don't know if I've thought about it having a mythical quality to it or not it's just like um, seems epic huge you know like so much is riding on this and you know well you know if as soon as you say epic you're getting close to myth yeah because uh, epic is huge is a huge story right it's a the scope is large and it means yeah it's something with it means a lot. Like everything's riding, riding on, on this. it. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, not all myths are like that. Yeah. A lot of them are. Right. Uh, but, um, the, the, the idea of Epic is, is, I think there's a, there's a, um, a lot of things in common with myth, including archetypes. I think they show up in both of those types of stories. Yeah. Um, you know, characters that are, that are, that have a particular quality that needs to be explored. Um, but that's pretty much it. You know, so if you talk about Hercules, for instance, mm-hmm. you know, it's his strength. I mean, what is Hercules? I mean, what else is there about Hercules? Well, you could say, for instance, and not that I've read him recently, or, but um, sometimes he's kind of dumb. So maybe there's more going on there. But basically, it revolves around, and the purpose of his stories are about his strength and how he can learn from that and how we can learn from what he does when he's dumb, especially. Um, But other than that, you know, there's not much going on there. So I I can see how myths are like a whole different thing as far as, it's not about the character, as far as the personality. Mm. um, I don't think so. Yeah, it's not like a deep personality, and that's not the whole purpose of it at all. Mm-mm. But it's um, more of just it's more in the storyline and um, something like that. But yeah, there's not going to be much that's surprising, and I can see how that's not. It's to me, it's still a little bit of thought provoking. Um, oh yeah, but not in a t- textured character type of way no i mean uh, the you know and then there are there are there are commensurate problems with character-based stories you know that i could tell you because they're the kind of things that i write the Mm -hmm. characters come to me and then they do things and then i write down what they do i see like it's that's what it feels like Mm -hmm. so i'm constantly surprised by the characters that i write about uh when i'm when when you know the spirit is with me on that front but um sometimes they can go nowhere sometimes they can be boring uh sometimes the character just isn't that interesting to watch or just doesn't do anything um so and there are certainly stories like that out there too that don't tend to be popular because of that i mean so just because a just because the story is character based does not mean that it's good um you know (laughs) 
necessarily. So it seems like there's two different things here. There's either stories where the significance is the storyline or it's the character. And then in the character-based story, like the, the world can be just totally random. It's all about the character and stuff and and exploring that. Whereas the other, the character is kind of secondary and it's more about the storyline, it seems like. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's the, those are the two classic types of story, plot-based and character-based yeah. is what they call it. I would say plot-driven and character-driven, um, where primarily... You know, and I don't believe you can do both at once because, and and somebody can argue and tell me I'm wrong and maybe they're right. But, you know, I know when I hit a point in a story, very often I know if I make this happen, the story will be good and interesting and it'll keep going. But I'm making it happen. The character wouldn't do that. The character would do this and the story might not be as good. Uh, that's the, if you've developed a character, um, you know kind of what they would do. Um, so I think there are times when you just can do one or the other. <laughs> you yeah. can't do both. Um, and I get into arguments with my students, and maybe they're right that you can do both, but I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, and I can see how maybe you can't do both. And I think um, what... The reason why a plot-based story might resonate more is if, like you think, or if you're exploring, that there's some grand meaning behind reality. Um, Because a character-based story, it's all centered on the character. It's not going beyond that. But like a plot-based story, it can get huge. It can get to like what's life all about what's yes. reality and all of that it's those Absolutely. big things you know? yeah it is it's it's very, it's it's much closer to that mm-hmm. but although i would argue a character based story if it's done well can do that even better oh really because we're all individuals mm-hmm. and we can have that understanding of the universe on our own and we can grow and learn and tap into that it's not it's not just these archetypal characters like none of us are that um if a, if a character driven story also becomes bigger than just the story about the the character I, I i'm not saying that there there is no spirituality or there is no higher power in a character driven story it can totally be there it just uh it happens because of the characters get there rather than the writer already being there. Um, that, to me, is so um, so much more powerful. But okay. And then I should also say that there is a third... If we talk about character-driven and plot-driven, there's also a third, and that would be theme-driven. So we've been talking about that. And some, and I would say some uh, epic stories or um, a myth are primarily story-driven, which would be entertainment more than anything else. Okay. They may have something else going on just because, but I think a lot of, um, a lot of stories be- have become myths because they were good stories and they were entertaining. Yeah. Um, but then some, some, some of those stories right out of the gate were to teach a lesson and those would be primarily theme-based. And the decision-making process at every moment where something has to happen, 
the writer would be thinking, okay, how, what can I make happen here that will further my lesson, that will teach my lesson versus what would the character do or what would make the best story? Right. There's, um, this is probably common in stories, um, kind of like the, the character, there's like everything's stacked against them, but there's this sliver of a chance. And, you know, if you're watching the movie, you're wanting them. There's no oh, yeah. question. They got to go for that. Otherwise, oh, yeah. it's just not a satisfying movie. And no. I guess that's more of a story-based, you know, um, but, you, you know, and it, it, and it kind of teaches too, because I think oh, yeah. it teaches us or it proposes to us, like, uh, go for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, don't settle for boring because no one would want to watch that. Well, and you're getting to the core of why human be, I mean, since, since we have evidence of communication, Mm -hmm. we have evidence of stories being told. So before we even learned how to like write, uh, we are, as soon as language was developed, we were telling stories. Um, so it, it's just, we love, we love to experience things but not actually have to experience them ourselves. We learn from it. It's fun. You know, if, if a main character gets killed because of something dumb they did, we don't have to die with them. Right. So uh, it's, how, it's, it's, it's how we, it's one of the main tools we have of building our reality. Yeah. Stories are. So, I mean, it's just what humans, it's just how humans process reality. Um, and so it's that, that's why we want to see that character try for that one in a million chance, because otherwise it doesn't make a good story. We're not going to learn anything from it. We're not going to, it's not satisfying because that satisfaction is beyond just entertainment. It's also about reinforcing what the universe is. Yeah. And even if I'm just thinking about this, you know, in the they make it, you know, in the movies. But yes, they do often. They but sometimes they don't. And like even if they go down in flames, I mean, you're still glad they did that. You did it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can be. There's just something about that um, that means that life is more than just existing. It's um, there's something. There's glory to obtain or something along those lines. Yeah, life is more than just a series of random events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we don't like that. Yeah. It may be true, but we don't, like, we don't like the way that sounds, which is story gives us a structure that we can lay over everything that we experience because most people are looking to take what happens to them and put it into a structure that makes sense and feels like it has meaning. So we, when we tell a story about something that happened to us, it has that same me, meaningful structure that a story does that gets made in Hollywood or written or whatever. Um, and that's for all stories, I think. No matter why they were written, they have to be. They have to have that kind of the random stories. I don't think it is a story if it's random. Uh, uh, I. 
how could it be random if someone's making a decision on what happens next, the, the, the storyteller? It can't be random. Even if they're trying to make it random, there is a reason for the choices that they make in a story. Just like when we look back, you know, we got, you know, we got, we maybe had a car accident. Most people are going to say, you know, I was driving down such and such road and I was eating French fries and I dropped one in my lap and I was looking down and it fell down into the floor, floor well and I knew I shouldn't have reached down there. You know, a, a car accident is a random event, but we don't, that's not comfortable. So we have to make it our fault or somebody else's fault and we have to come out the other end and with some sort of a lesson so that we don't do it again or someone else doesn't do it again. It's got to mean something That's for it to story. be a story. Yeah. Yeah. We, want, we, want, we want life to be, to, to be meaningful generally. And so stories are how we make it feel meaningful. Right. And that, that gets huge from a philosophical aspect. Yes. Like, because it brings up the question, is there like a big ultimate meaning in life or is it meaningless? You know? <laughs> And that's like the thing that we, um, you know, deal with and so forth, you know. Yeah, we don't like, we don't, we don't want to deal with that, usually. <laughs> yeah. So we tell stories to ourselves and about ourselves and for ourselves. Which is, which is kind of dealing with it. I mean, it's, yes, it is. it's making a claim, perhaps, or it's exploring things, you know, but. Absolutely. Um this is really kind of a different subject, but when it comes to storytelling, like when you're sitting around, have you ever um, pursued that? Like, um, how what makes a good storyteller, and um, how to you know do that? No, are you mean sort of like a? Uh somebody who's relating a story with a with a uh, an audience i mean i i don't know but i think a lot of what i value and what i teach my students it would be the same thing mm-hmm. um being aware of your of the your audience's relationship with the story are they interested or not the nice thing about telling a story in person mm-hmm. is that you can tell when people are losing interest and you can kind of shorten things up uh jump to something that's more interesting or you know that's not something that other types of storytellers have Mm -hmm. i haven't really thought about that but it's it is true um we you know so much of learning how to be a good storyteller other than in person with an audience is trying to predict how your audience is going to react. Hmm. And that is not easy. Yeah. And it's never 100%. And it's, yeah. it, that's extremely hard. But we do have tools. The, the, the best way is to get reactions from other people who yeah. read your work or see your work and say, okay, yeah, th- I got bored here. This, was, this happened too fast or whatever. I was at a family camp and um, there's this guy there and he was telling stories. Mm-hmm. And he was... Uh, wonderful storyteller and I saw him around the campfire and I just said how did you learn to tell stories Mm. so he he told me a story I bet (laughs) about um, 
when he was first starting to tell stories at camp and um, they had these wooden benches and all the kids would sit on the benches and there was a dust floor and they would like uh, be shuffling their feet around and mm-hmm. the dust would rise up in the air. But um, sometimes the dust would settle down and they would be and he would know he's really kind of touching in on something that really uh, have yes. their attention. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I've noticed, uh, I've heard Jordan Peterson also mention, like in his live audiences, like when it gets super quiet, you know, he can tell he's really hitting something, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, you can totally tell. I mean, I don't have audiences, but I've taught classes. Yeah. And boy, you can you can feel that feedback coming at you all the time and well if you're smart you pay attention to it sometimes i didn't but um but yeah it's that is that is a luxury really yeah now that i think about it that boy i certainly don't have and my my students who are usually writers they don't have that luxury the best you can do is just get feedback from other writers yeah um which is the same thing i guess and it gives you a chance to improve your story and improve your story. I mean, if you're telling a story in front of a live audience and it's not going well, you're going to go down in flames. <laughs> you know, and there's this, I guess you learned the next time you tell it, but that's, yeah. I guess we're, we're also lucky there that we don't have, that can happen, but the more notes you get, feedback you get from other people, the the more you kind of reduce the chances of going down in flames with everybody that reads your work or sees your work. Yeah. It seems like a neat skill, a neat activity, storytelling. Mm. Um, it's something I'm not good at, but, um, you know, you can take like just a simple thing happening, like just a story mm. out, of, out of the Bible or something. And if you're a good storyteller, I mean, you can really capture people's attention and or totally. you can just make it boring for them just by however you do it you know so. and of course what we're not talking about is that every audience is different and some of them are going to respond yeah. in one way and i would have i would have the same students the same exact students for instance in one class it's not story to, i would tell stories but um in one class and they would be super interested in another class they would not be interested at all and i could not see the difference so there's a lot going on. There are moods. There, I mean, it's it's yeah. a challenge to tell a story well to a live audience and have them respond in a positive yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, let's see. Um, I wrote down some other things that I was wanting to bring up. Um, Um, well, we've talked about a lot of this already about just why a story is captivating, um, and, um, I was going to, you know, just think about the practical reasons for telling a story, um, like anytime you're trying to communicate something, even if it's in business or so forth, um, I mean, if you can kind of make a story out of it, <laughs> it's going to go go across better. Um, it is, yeah, almost always. It seems, yeah. I mean, it's it's why those. That's why Grimm possibly was 
telling some of his stories or at least compiling, making the decisions on compiling and writing a lot of the stories were because you can tell a kid a hundred times, don't trust strangers. And that will not sink in. But if they hear about some kids getting eaten alive because they trusted strangers, we put ourselves into the stories because we experience... We have experienced similar things to the characters. We identify with main characters, or we're, we're supposed to anyway, mm-hmm. if you're lucky. And uh, so we put ourselves in that position. Right then and there, we're much more likely to... It's much, I think it's much more likely, if the story's well told, for us to go, yikes, I'm not going to do that, or I should do that. Mm-hmm. So... Um when it comes to um, like n- being more into a character-based story than like a plot-based story or these storylines that deal with like grand themes and so forth, is um, the um, the th- is it for you that the themes seem like um, too contrived or? Um, um, do you believe in um, like an overarching meta narrative to reality and stuff like that? I don't know. Do I do I do I believe yeah. in it? Uh, I do, but um, I maybe I'm trying to convince myself because I'm a storyteller. Maybe that's why I am one. Yeah. Um, but you know, character driven stories do also deal with grand themes. Yeah. It's just that usually the writer doesn't know it. Okay. Um, just like plot-based stories very often and, and usually do deal with grand themes as well. They all do the same themes very often. Right. Because they're, they're pretty simple themes that humans just have to learn and relearn and relearn and, you know, uh, get reinforced um, to, to, to live better. But... Um, you know, with character-driven, at least my experience is I have no idea what I'm writing, why I'm writing something. Right. And then after I'm done, someone will read it and go, oh, my God, this is so obvious. Yeah. You know, what your theme is here, and it is not at all to me. But it's it usually is something that I've learned and I think is important. And I, even though I've developed or tried to develop three-dimensional characters that are they're full of flaws and have different you know, conflicting drives and internal conflict and all that stuff. Um, they're all me on some level, probably. Sure. So, yeah. or, or aspect of me or something I'm attracted to or something like that. So, you know, right. there, it's, it's, me, it's me dealing with those grand themes, but not knowing I am. Right. And yeah. not just me. I think good character-driven stories, it's the same there, you know. They, right. they, they don't know it, but it, it, when they're good, it just happens. Right. And it resonates with the reader. Because that's not just you, but that's the reader also. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've got themes that I've learned or have to remind myself of because I've forgotten them. Yeah. <laughs> that... Um, that, that must be, I think, why I write, or a large part of why I write. And I think that's the same for a lot of people. 
um, yeah. y- you know, that are that their primary purpose is not to make money, then I think things change there. But if they're trying to entertain, very often what they find entertaining has got lessons that they've learned in life that are functioning in that story. Yeah. Um, so that's why they're, I think that's why authors are attracted to those stories. And when they're successful, um, audiences are as well is because there's, there's something more going on. And that doesn't mean a good writer. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, over the course of, you know, if you want to talk about movies, for instance, because I know the most about those maybe, um, there have been some really um, mediocre movies that were not, that didn't make, that were not respected at the time, that were, you know, didn't have an impact, but have stayed in the consciousness because they had something going on that was important. And I think very often it's, it's that universal theme that, that nobody was trying to get at at the time, but it still came out. Right. So, um, what, um, what's made an impact on you as far as like books or movies, um, that, you know, that have just really hit you? Hmm. Um, well, gosh, there's so many, you know, so many examples of that. Um, well, one of my favorite movies is Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, uh, 1974, uh, and that's um, uh, Martin Scorsese directed it. Um, so you'd think it's all about mobsters, but he actually made some stuff that wasn't mythical, like because mob stories are very often mythical, I think, or at least mm-hmm. epic. Um, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with that movie? No, I'm not. Um, it is about a woman whose husband dies and she decides she's going to move to the, the place she grew up that she thinks everything's going to get fixed when she moves to where she grew up. Um, and it's about her traveling to get there. Uh, it's really what you'd call a small story, but it's extremely character driven. And, um, you know, for me, us, for instance, that's the first one that comes to my mind. Um, it's watching her grow and eventually find happiness, but not what she was expecting or what she's going for. I don't want to spoil the ending, but um, that's an important lesson to me that very often, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones said it, you know, we don't get what we want, but we get what we need which is once again all about the kind of structure of, you know, spirituality maybe um, that's at the heart of that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so wow. it, that, you know, that, that's, and, and a lot of stories. It reminds me of the Odyssey, like trying to get home. Yes. Um, hmm, I'm trying to see if there's any. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the same it's it's probably dealing with a lot of similar issues, um, but the Odyssey I'm sure is not a three dimensional. I've never read it, but like uh, not a character. I, <laughs> no. I wouldn't say so. Yeah. No, um, I mean it's just got a different purpose, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's got some great stories. They're just, you know, they're about behavior that 
a lot of the things that Odysseus does uh, are what we would all do. That's the universality of it. Like if we if we had an opportunity to live in a place where everything was just amazing and perfect, we'd want to stay even though it wasn't right. So it's the same kind of, I mean, that's the same kind of idea that could show up in a character-driven story. Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's kind of the opposite. And Alice doesn't live here anymore. She's okay. in a place that she doesn't think is perfect and she needs to leave, but it ends up being the right thing for her. I see yeah. I mean, so it's, it's an opposite, but it's still something to learn about the world, you know, our relationship with where we are and where we want to be. Okay. Um, hmm. So maybe it's the opposite. I don't know. I may be humanistic versus, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, and then there's, there are often parallels that make it feel even more, um, make a story feel even more... Uh, in tune with, with, with you, with me. Um, like, for instance, with Alice doesn't live here anymore. I ended up moving to uh, Tucson. My parents were living there, and I wanted to try and help them out. I didn't end up being any help at all to them. They didn't need it. But um, the, the movie takes place mostly in Tucson, which I had forgotten about. Um, and, and so much of what she goes through, I went through. And so watching it actually on a movie screen in Tucson, hmm. um, realizing that there's, there's that kind of synchronicity that makes it feel even more you know, significant. Huh. That's so, interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, do you want to move out of the sun? I know the sun's kind of changed. I wouldn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. We'll wrap up here in just sure. a couple minutes too, but um, okay. Um, is there anything else as far as movies or, or books that have, uh, you know, really, um, impacted you and hmm. to, that you'd like to mention? Gosh, you know, nothing recently. Okay. I have not been reading part of, uh, part of a challenge for me and it's, and it's, I'm not thrilled about it, but, um, is that studying story to the extent that I have and thinking about it with my students and with my own work is that I have a lot harder time, not with movies or TV for some reason at all, but with books. Mm -hmm. I cannot get into books in a way that I used to. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Um, So I haven't even really finished. I mean, and books that I have finished recently, I've, haven't thought a lot of thought much of mm-hmm. um even ones that were supposed to be really really good yeah. I, I it's i don't know what's going on there but um yeah and i can't even really see, say i have seen a lot of movies lately or tv um not to bring everybody down but you know with the pandemic I have not felt like getting, to, and I know it's kind of post-pandemic-y at this point, but I haven't felt like tackling big, serious stories too much. So I haven't really been watching a lot of stuff like that. So that might might have something to do with it, too. I'm yeah. just kind of watching entertainment. Right, I see. Yeah. All right. Well... It's been interesting. This is an interesting topic. 
Yeah. Um, okay, so um, just anything else you'd like to bring up or, you know, how would how can people follow you if they want to kind oh. of know your your see your own work or anything along those lines? Oh, absolutely. Well, I've got three books that are that are published and are available on Amazon. Okay. So if they look up my name, God willing, they show up. Um, my last name is Sydney, like Australia. Okay. So I, that's probably the best way to interact with me. I am not particularly cyber. Okay. So we were talking about um, why do you write? And my, because my reasons are not to make money, <laughs> I don't do things that I probably should like keeping up my website or <laughs> things like that. I'm not into self-marketing too much, so I don't really have a lot other than to offer my to my work. Sure. Okay. And you're not a blogger or anything like that? Huh? I am. I, 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 when I first published uh, my first couple of books, I got seriously into guest blogging and mm-hmm. had my own blog. And there's blogs floating out there that have old entries of mine. But it, it, I don't like doing it. I don't, I don't know why anybody would want to listen to me tell them what to do, like, like, for, like that. So I just think, why would somebody want to read a blog from me? So I just can't do it. Do you journal? No, I don't. Okay. I don't. I, I think all of, that, all of that kind of energy ends up in the, because I write pretty much every day. Yeah. I think it ends up there. Right. Um, my responses, you know, very often something that happens will end up in my story and it won't be direct and it won't be on purpose, but I'll look back and go, oh yeah, I see why that's in there. So I think I must be working things out with my stories. Now, does that mean that they're really character driven if I'm doing that? I don't know. Or to the level of character driven aspects, but I think it's happening. It's, It's not conscious anyway. Well, thank you, Adam, for the conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. This has been great. Mm -hmm.